This week I've chosen to talk about uh, things from the Old Testament as, as a, the shadow of Christ is apparent through the pages of the Old Testament. When we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the writer says the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. It indicates to us that there's something deeper going on in the stories of the Old Testament. In the stories of the pages of the law, it's not just these stories that are there to make us feel good, and they're all disconnected stories that we can pick out some lessons from. If we look deep enough, there is one main story woven together throughout those pages that leads us all the way to Christ. And the truth is confirmed to us by Jesus and, and his apostles. You know, after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was able to go back through the pages of the Old Testament and point out to his disciples all the places where the Bible was talking about himself. And so the Old Testament is, is uh, running through this great uh, thread of Christ all the way throughout. And Jesus pointed that out. And, and Paul and Peter also affirmed these things. Paul, when he was standing before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, says this. He says, Having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue to this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Paul was affirming the fact that what he was teaching about Christ was everything that Moses and the prophets said would come. And what was that? That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light to the people and to the Gentiles. This was the entire purpose of the Old Testament and the story for the Jews leading up to this point of Christ. And Paul says so, and Christ says so, and the writers of the New Testament affirm that over and over again. It's all about Jesus, and it always has been. But if you're like me, you haven't always recognized those deep connections to Christ as you read through these stories. It's easy for us to just breeze through those details. But the more I study, the more I see that connection, the more in awe I am at the beauty of God's Word and just how, how amazing and how wonderful this, this story is that God has delivered into our hands. And we should count ourselves very blessed to be able to, to be uh, recipients and beneficiaries of such a great story. So this series of studies this week is designed to explore a few of those stories in the Old Testament, hopefully to establish a deeper connection to the story of Christ, make that more apparent and those connections stronger. And, and I hope that we'll be able to learn something about ourselves through those stories and our place as servants of the kingdom. And, and something there will help us to, to learn about ourselves and transform our lives because it's an amazing story that you and I play a part in and we'll lead up into that uh, as, we, as we go on through the study. I want to begin with talking about Adam and the image of God. This is a very important concept. It's a grounding principle that's, that's apparent throughout all the scriptures, and we learn about it right from the beginning, and God makes it very clear to his people right from the beginning. And so as with all great stories, we'll start here at the very start when God created all things. We'll take a look at God and his work of the creation, the responsibility of man, man's catastrophic failure, and God's response to that failure. And these events really set the stage for the rest of the story of the scriptures. If we want to understand the scriptures, it's important for us to understand the very onset of things and what took place because that, that theme runs through uh, the entire pages of the scriptures. You know, the Bible does begin by telling us that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said... We're introduced to the figure of God, and it's important for us to look at his nature. 
In Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The figure that we're introduced to in the scriptures is an eternal being. He has always existed and will always exist. He, he is he, the great I am. He just exists. He is a great, powerful being. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, being temporal beings and being in the state that we're in. It's hard for us to understand something that's eternal. But God is that in his nature, an eternal being. Not only is he eternal, he is holy. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. God is an eternal and a holy being. And this holy and eternal being decided that, it would, that because he is life, that he would create life. And so he is the life giver. He created the heaven and the earth. In Acts chapter 17 verses 25 through 24 and 25, Paul said this, as he stands here preaching to, to people there at, in, in Athens, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. This great, holy, eternal being is the source of all life. And he gives life because he is life. And that life comes through the power of his word. And God said, and it was so. Psalm 33, David uh, in the Psalms wrote about the power of the word of God. He said, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Think about that. How amazing and powerful and wonderful the word of God is, that he can speak and things will come into existence. It produces life because, again, it is life. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths and storehouses let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. John chapter 1, the apostle John gives us an indication about this word. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, by the word, and without him, without the word, was not anything made that was made. In him, in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, God creates life through the word, and it is powerful enough to bring forth life because the word is life, and it is our source of life. And that should begin to understand, help us understand how important the word of God is for us. It is the source of our life. The very fact that we exist, the very fact that we were created, comes from the fact that his word is powerful enough to create life, and, and this Great life giver brought us into this world with that power. Now, there's something amazing in John 1, verse 14. It says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we know that John is writing about Jesus, and so Jesus is the word. So right here, the connections, the New Testament and the Old Testament together lay out this deep connection to Christ that there from the very beginning was Jesus had created, who is God and was with God and created all things and brought forth life because Jesus is life. Not only is this great eternal and holy being the life giver, he is the lawgiver. As we read in those Psalms, he commanded and it stood fast. There in, in verses four through six of that very Psalm, he says, the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 
the great lawgiver that issues commands, that speaks things into existence, everything he does is right. Everything he does is true. Everything that he speaks is righteousness and judgment. And we have to begin with an understanding of God from that place, understanding God as we move forward through the pages of the scriptures, or else it makes us, we, we, our minds get twisted against what God is and what he does because we see the actions he takes and, and our sensibilities are so offended. Oh, well, that's, that just seems so mean. And we don't understand that everything that he does is in truth and in righteousness and in holiness. And the reason his law is issued, this is, this is what's interesting to me is reading about this and then the next psalm we'll read, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. It says, For the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And in the keeping of them, that reward is life. But notice the description we have of his law, his commandments. Pure, perfect, sure, clean, true, righteous. Why is his word and his law all of those things? Because God is all of those things. The law is a reflection of who he is. The, the, the commands that he issues, the things that he does, they're done in such a way because of who God is. And so his commandments reflect his very nature. And, and I think it's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful to, to know that and see that. And maybe that's the most important reason that we ought to respect his word and take it seriously because it should be held in special regard. We are, we are seeing the very ref reflection of God through these words. Now his law and the commandments that he gives and he issues are meant to keep us in life because they are life. This is what God truly desires for you and I. He wants us to live. He doesn't want us to die. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 30 to the people of Israel. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce to you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over to Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life, and death, blessing, and cursing. Therefore choose life, that thou and thy seed may live forever, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave to him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. Moses was trying to communicate this to the children of Israel. These commandments that, that God issues they are a reflection of himself, and they are meant to keep us in the way of life. And he says, choose life. Do this. Don't choose the way of death. When we disobey, we're choosing the way of death, and we're rejecting who God is. 
And so we see this beautiful and wonderful creation by the lawgiver and the life giver. And he creates all these beautiful things in the six days as we read there. And if you notice the consistent pattern displayed here, creation is made to be a reflection of, of his glory. In Genesis 1.25, it says God saw all these things he had created and it was good. The creation was good because God is good. Yet there was a special being that was created that would stand out among the creation that when he created, he looked and said, it is very good. And that creation was man. Now we look at the nature of, of humanity. God is the life giver. People, humans that were made, Adam, was simply given life. He was the recipient of life. Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So we have this great blessing that comes from God, a living soul. And that made us special above all other creatures. Why? The other creatures received life, and in fact it says in Genesis, they received the breath of life. What makes man so special? What makes man such a, a great pinnacle of his creation? Well, Genesis 1.26 shows us the answer. And then God said, let us make man in our image and, our, and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Mankind is different than all of the other created beings because man was made intentionally. God, with purpose, made us in his own image made us in his own likeness. Think about that for just a moment and let that sink in. He created us to have an immortal nature. We weren't created to die. We were created to live. We were created to have intellect. We were created to have holiness and righteousness made in the likeness of God. And I believe that, that shows us that we were made to be holy beings. God has made us upright. God has made us to be like Him. And so when we look at, at human life, that understanding that we were intentionally made in the, in the purpose and the, and the image of God, that should impress upon us the value that human life holds. Simply by being made in the image of God. And we should treat each other well and treat each other with respect because we are made in his likeness. And there's some, th some other things that are beautiful here. We don't have time to dig into all of these details, but male and female created he them. That shows us something about the image of God and the nature of God. There's something special about this relationship that God created between man and woman. That together they both are, are representing the image of God. So relationships, we see here, relationships are a part of bearing the image of God. So relationships and holiness, immortality, these are ways where we were created to be like God. And we were made to represent God, and not just the way we were formed, but with the purpose that he gave humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, 
and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves upon the earth. God gave humanity a purpose, and that was to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That was the, the purpose and the work that man had to do upon this earth, and reproduce. That shows us something special about the, the act of multiplying, the act of bringing forth new life, being people who were created in life, bringing forth new life that reflects to us the very thing that God did for himself. He is life and therefore brings forth new life. You know, if you think about what the Bible teaches about God and all the angelic beings that he's created to enjoy a relationship with and to, to, to be with, you know, in, in Hebrews it talks about an innumerable company of angels. In Psalm 68, 17 it says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. God creates beings to enjoy a relationship with. He shares life. He multiplies and creates, and he gave us that responsibility too. He wants us to be creative beings that bring forth life into the things that we do and multiply and share and create new offspring to share in this blessing of life together. That's our responsibility. He also gave us a responsibility to, to subdue and have dominion. Psalm 8, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and, and crowned him with glory and honor. And thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and hast put all things under his feet. It's a great charge for us to be in charge, for us to be responsible for, the, for this world, for us to have dominion over all the creatures that God has, has made. We're his image bearers, not just as holy beings, but our job is to carry out the will of God and to preserve holiness throughout the world. That was the, the job of Adam and Eve. And so while man was not created at the very top of the, arc, of the, the hierarchy, they are set very high and given glory and honor and the highest position on this earth as far as having the dominion and, and rule over all things. That's man. We've seen God in his nature. Now we've seen man in his nature and his purpose and creation. Now, the great lawgiver issued commandments to God. We, we can't be God, and we don't know the best things to do, and therefore we need guidance. We need wisdom to follow in order to maintain the harmony that God created between himself, a holy God, and the holy creatures he created now called man. And there is a harmony between these two and it needs to be maintained. And man needs instruction on how to maintain that and how to remain in life. And so God issued commandments to the first man and it was a blessing that he gave man this wisdom so that they would know how to maintain that life. In Genesis 2, 16-17, we read about where God commanded the man saying, you can eat of every tree of the garden. And that includes the tree of life for it was there in the midst of the garden. And they had free access to the tree of life. And he says, you can eat of every tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, you shall surely die. God warns them that if they take this action, they will die. And he gives those commandments to set before them life and death. And the choice is theirs. He wants us to choose life. So what we see of mankind to this point... Man's created in the image of God, created with value and worth, created to, to be blessed and to be fruitful and multiply, to have a place of prominence in this world. They walked and communicated directly with God. They had free access to the tree of life. They received direct wisdom from God to know what is good and what is evil. They uh, were given the freedom to choose that over life over death. And, and at this point, mankind and God are in perfect harmony. And th there was a beauty and a wonder in the world that we long for. 
that we can't begin to imagine. It was peace, righteousness, purity, holiness, and life reigned in this world. It was paradise. That's the original design. That's the ideal picture of a holy man having this harmony in relationship with a holy mankind. And then everything changed. Satan comes along. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. This subtle creature of evil, the father of lies, comes to to the woman and deceives her. And I want to notice and break down what he did. There's three things I believe that Satan did here when he comes to her and says, Hey, did God say you couldn't have any of the trees? Did he tell you you couldn't eat any of the fruit? He's beginning to plant doubt in her mind. But what he does is redefine God. He changes the image of God. He changes the the very nature of God and makes a, a very evil implication. Remember, God is pure, he is true, he is righteous in his conduct. Everything he does is right. And the fact that he was telling them and withholding them from this tree and telling them, don't eat it or you will die, he was doing it for the right reason and trying to help them stay in life. And Satan's implication is, you know, God's not trying to protect you from dying. That's not what he wants. He's trying to keep you from gaining power. He knows that you can achieve more, and he's holding you back from achieving that power. That's the implication. When he says God knows that in the day that you eat of it, that this will happen. And it's not exactly like he told you it was going to be. It's a complete misrepresentation of God, complete misrepresentation of who he is and the intentions of God, and he lies about what God knows. God knows they would surely die. But But he lies about the intention. God knows that when you do this, you're actually going to gain power. You're not going to die. You're going to gain power, and he doesn't want that from you. So he changes God, and then he redefines God's commandment. Do you notice about how he changes the instruction? God said, don't eat of it or you will die. Satan says, no, you can eat of it, and you'll be okay. It's all going to be okay if you eat this fruit. Go for it. There's nothing bad that's going to happen to you. In fact, it's only good that will come of it. And because the commandments are a reflection of God himself, They are holy and pure and right. By altering the truth of the commandment that God issued, Satan continued to alter the true representation of God. 
He, and he muddied that picture of, of this pure and holy God. And now it's this God that wants to keep you from gaining power. And his commandments aren't even right. He's wrong. You won't die. And in fact, the deceiver promises they're going to gain wisdom. You know, the foolish thing is she already had direct access to wisdom from God. The third thing that he does is redefine mankind's place in the, in the order that God created. Remember, we can't be God. But Satan comes to him and says, if you do this, you will be like God. Satan promised her something that was not attainable. He made Eve believe that mere created beings could attain the status of the creator. And it is impossible. It is impossible. We cannot be the creator. And here's the fallacy of sin. You will be like God. The truth was they already were. They were created in the image of God and were in the highest, most pure form to the likeness of God that they could ever be. And they were deceived. And when the woman saw, remember, God looked at this tree and said, don't eat of it or you will die. It is, it is evil. This tree is evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good, now her mind has changed. Well, before I was looking at this tree and God said it was evil, but now I'm looking at this tree saying, this is good. It's actually good for food. Oh, we can take it and we can eat it. It's, we're not going to die if we eat that. And it was pleasant to the eyes. Well, it is a beautiful tree. It does look appetizing. And it's a tree to be desired to make one wise. God wants us to be his image bearers. He, he wants us to be in his light. He wants us to be like him. Why not just take it? And so she saw this and took the fruit thereof and did eat. And she gave to her husband. And he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aproned. What was the outcome? They did not come to know good and evil the way God knows it. The only thing they received was the knowledge of committing evil and the guilt and the shame that comes from that. Have you ever done something and you immediately knew you shouldn't have done it? And you felt that sting of guilt? That's what they felt. Have you ever done something and you just wish you could go back? That's what they felt. Adam and Eve were so ashamed that they, they were scared and they tried to cover themselves up with their own means, sewing fig leaves together, and then they go hide themselves from the presence of God because they can't take it. They can't stand the fact that they know they've done this thing wrong and they're scared. They were not elevated to any, in any sense. They were not elevated to greater power Instead, they gave up their dominion. God put all things under their feet, and now the thing that was supposed to be under their feet, the serpent deceives them and topples them. They gave up their dominion, and they brought the bondage of sin and death into this world, and they lost the essence of their likeness of God. They lost their holiness, and yes, they surely died that day. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. They caused a chaos in this world that we continue to feel the echoes of this day. That conflict that we feel when we try to change God, when we try to make Him more like us and make Him more like in our image, rather than letting ourselves be created more into the image of God, when we change His commandments and say, you know what, no, I don't have to do that, and it's going to be okay if I don't follow exactly what it says, or when we try to change our place and say, well, we're the ones who have to make the decision, we're the ones who are in power, we're the ones who are in control and elevate ourselves. Humanity has been cursed with these very three things from, from this point on, and we see the chaos, we see how terribly it's grown, and we see the results of that even in our life today. And we're still in bondage to this, to this death. We still have to die. They caused that for, for all of humanity. They had a great responsibility to properly reflect God and His holiness and His righteousness, and they failed. The serpent came and they failed. He did not crush this act of disobedience. Instead, they gave in. And by failing, they broke the harmony between the holy man and a holy God and introduced corruption into our lives and into our world. And it has far-reaching consequences. But the blessing in this story, though dark as it is, though horrible as it is, we wish things could be different. And guess what? God does too. Because as soon as that happened, he issues this promise. In Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between her, thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God says this to the serpent as an act of judgment against him. He caused this problem. He caused humanity to fail. And God is going to be the one to fix this. He, he, this is the first prophecy we read about Christ coming into the world to, to eradicate this problem of sin. The seed of the woman would come. And it, what we're seeing here is human life caused the error. And then this is the promise of someone in the image of human life coming to correct the error. The seed of the woman would come and correct this problem and bring a reversal of this curse that mankind brought upon themselves. He would come to crush the head of the serpent. He would come to, to deal a death blow to this, to this deceiver. Now, everything that follows in the story of the Bible is a fulfillment of how God brought this about. And it's beautiful and wonderful, and hopefully we'll explore and we'll see these connections as we continue building on throughout the week. Now, the other unfortunate response that God had to respond with was not only issuing this promise to fix it, but for the time being, mankind was exiled from paradise because that harmony was broken and sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. And so in Genesis 3, 22-24, the, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see? God was really doing them a favor so that they wouldn't live forever in that corrupt state. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed in the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. They lost access to God in the way they, they had experienced before. God removed them from his presence because of sin, and they lost access to the tree of life. But thankfully, as we, we will see in the continuing story, 
God's goal is to remove this curse of death from humanity and reconcile everyone who is living in exile and return them back to a, a reconciled relationship because God wants a relationship with his beings. He wants a relationship with you. As we think about the, the story and how terrible it is that we continue to suffer with these effects of sin in our life and, and living in disobedience to God, I want to ask you, are you in conflict with the Holy God? Are you doing something and you know you shouldn't be doing it? And so you're living your life in exile from Him. You're living your life trying to cover your own problems with your own ways. Maybe you're living your life scared about having to answer to God when He says, where are you? Because you know you're not at a place you need to be in your life. I hope this story calls out to your soul and deeply resonates. And I hope that you feel it. When we read about the failure of humanity, that we feel it and we recognize our own failures. But that we understand that there is a promise of hope and God wants us to be restored and wants us to choose life. If you're here this morning and you need the prayers of the church, you need assistance, you need guidance, you need your family to surround you to help you choose life. And to stop these destructive ways that keep us from a harmony between us and God. I know that the, the elders, the brothers here, want to help with that. And maybe you're not a, a member of God's family at all. You can be reconciled to him through that great promise of Genesis 3.15. Become one with Christ, the seed of the woman, who has crushed the serpent and cleanses us from iniquity to reconcile us to the holy God. And that happens through being baptized into Christ. We gain access to that special privilege if we choose life. So God sets it before you, and I set it before you this day, the choice between life and death. And you get to decide. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.